You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back. Men, women, children, both baptized and unbaptized. We are happy you're here. I am your bearded friend, Justin. Joined by none other than my almost bearded friend, Balake. Blake, how have you been, my dear friend? You know, it's been a good day. At work today, we ended up discussing the difference between ethical and moral concerns and religious practice and um, epistemological, metaphysical questions of reality. So, you know, it was just a casual Tuesday in in the workplace. Uh, which was pretty, pretty great. We also got to talk about the adverse effects uh, on the brain of extensive pornography use. So, you know, it was just a very light, casual day of uh, you know, uh, conversation. Yeah. So it was pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty great. How you doing, buddy? Good. I, I didn't work today because uh, it's a Tuesday. And Sounds like an even better Tuesday than mine. I don't, yeah, I don't work on Tuesdays, which is my, one of my favorite parts about my job is working four 10-hour shifts. Um, so yeah, I spent the day with my boy. It's been a good day. No complaints here. Um, Mm. speaking of no complaints, you won't be complaining if you happen to win this giveaway. Oh, Oh. (laughs) which is still going to be running through this Friday, May 14th. That's Uh, it. You will be getting a distilling theology quote mug. The man is an enigma whose only solution or whose solution can only be found in God. Of course, Mr. Bob Inc. And then a copy of Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, provided to us by Crossway. So thank you. If you guys want to join that, well, you still can head over to distillingtheology.com slash giveaway and put in your deets and share and add up those uh, those giveaway points and uh, increase your chances because it matters. It, it really does, does matter. Just like we're actually – so this episode – we don't usually record on a Tuesday, but due to our schedule, we had to record on a Tuesday, uh, which is a little bit wild. So it is actually May the 4th today, uh, as well as the episode that we launched today. We made May the 4th jokes. But you know what? Tomorrow will be the Revenge of the 5th when we're doing other things. So, you know, it's going to be it's going to be pretty. It's going to be May. <laughs> it's going to be May. This is the May. Justin, what's in our glass tonight? Yeah, this is a brandy. We haven't had a brandy in a while. I'm really excited. It smells delicious. It is the Menorval Prestige Calvados. Um, It smells... Dude, I'm really excited to drink this. It's uh, 40% ABV or 80 proof. Um, And it's a French apple brandy. Yeah. So it's going to be sweet. It's going to be delicious. Uh, A French apple brandy. This is literally an apple cider distilled into a brandy. So it's going to be... I feel like it's going to be desserty. I'm excited. You've never had Calvados before, right? I have not had Calvados. I've all. had I've had it, and I've had this specific bottle before, and it's quite good. Um, Calvados has so <clears throat> there's a whole range of apple brandies that have different processes, different apples that are used. Um, Calvados comes from the Calvados region of France, and within that, there's 
they say over a hundred types of apples that are permitted in the production of it. This particular bottle uh, is a blend of brandies that have been aged from two to three years in oak casks. And I cannot pronounce this, so I'm going to let you you handle this part. Uh, it's it's 100%, 100% what, Pays Douche Calvados. Whoa. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, so that's covering a much smaller area in the center of Normandy is the AOC Calvados. It is required that these are double distilled in a copper pot still and then spend a minimum of two years aging in oak casks. <laughs> Calvados production uh, from this appellation are considered some of the finest in quality, offering both concentration and poise with an elegant flavor profile and long finish. So, Justin... What do you smell? You were saying already kind of desserty, and obviously, like there's apples, but there's a lot more going on underneath the surface here. Once you get past just the overwhelming amount of apple smell, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're definitely getting uh, a lot of sweetness, a lot of apples forward, but I would say that there's some other orchard fruits going on. Sure, uh, there's a little bit of maybe lemony action going on, some cinnamon and spice. Nothing over, nothing like overbearing. Um, yeah. But it's not like it's not appley in like a in like a fake apple sort of sure uh, thing. But it's I don't know. It's, it smells good. Yeah, I almost get like um I almost want to say pears as yeah. well. Like okay. you're kind of in that. You know what I mean? It's it's very well, fresh fruit, fruit right? The very orchard yeah. fruit uh, fruit forward, but smell. different from. The way that, say, like a bourbon or a rye has kind sure. of apple notes. Those tend to be more like apples and caramels and apples and vanilla. This is a much yeah. cleaner, fruitier aroma. Yeah, this um, is like going through an apple orchard and, yeah. and having fresh apples there. Yeah, and there's, there's a little bit of um, <clears throat> vanilla sweetness in there as well. But diff- again, different from a bourbon. Now, that said... Uh, we talked about this in our episode 40. The last time we had Carl Truman on episode 40, where we drank uh, a cognac mm-hmm. cognacs, brandies, because they're fruit based um, can be a good answer to people that find themselves getting an upset stomach from grain based spirits like whiskeys, but who like the darker <clears throat> age spirits, um, cognacs and various types of brandies, or in this case, a Calvados, a specific type of fruit brandy uh, can all be very good alternatives. So, so the more, the more I smell it, I'm getting like, I'm getting a little more like honey and baked apples and some cream. Ooh. Yeah, I could see that. Even a little bit of smokiness, like a, like a hint of smokiness in the background. See, for me, I think that I'm getting that from the bake, like a little bit of baking spice. Sure. More so like, but yeah, I'm thinking apple pie, like how you have the, the, mm-hmm. the cinnamon and sugar crumbs on top. Yep. And, um, but with like yeah. an ever so slightly burnt bottom. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The only way. The only way. Well, anyways, let's taste this thing and, uh, and jump in. Cheers. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's, um, it's a little bit, uh, different mouthfeel than I anticipated. Yeah. It's drier. Yeah. Than you think, like, I do get a light honey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as apple tasting as you think no. it's going to be. Um, and I get... Maybe an oaky or pine or some some kind of maybe cedar, some kind of woody note through the middle. But it's not not in the same way where I feel like I'm like chomping on an oak barrel like some whiskeys I've had. It almost feels more like apple skins than the actual apples themselves uh, mixed with like a honey 
in a in a in a sort of a baking spice all kind yeah. of blending together. And the finish is a little bit soft, like mm-hmm. almost floral. Like yeah. not just in not just in the sense that it doesn't have a lot of burn, but the flavor is different than I expected. Um it's gentler and um mellow. Yeah, that's the the really oakiness good. or the sort of the smokiness I think is coming because this the cider that's um is made from these apples. Apparently it rests in oak barrels for 10 or 11 months mm. um, before it's, before it's distilled. So mm. that's good. That's very tasty. There's also a little bit of maybe a little almond in there as well. Super smooth. I mean, it's super, yeah. super smooth. And my local liquor store has a 750 milliliter bottle of this for 25 bucks. So, I mean, oh. this is a very affordable, oh, yeah. drinkable spirit. I could see this pairing real nicely with some pastries or something, something light. Sure. Sure. Um, like an after dinner sort of dessert. Yeah. Uh, or, or like mid afternoon if yeah. you're, if it's summertime like and you're out by the pool or something. Yeah. Obviously not during the work day, you know, or not being, not being totally crazy well. here. <laughs> well, do you have any, uh, any final thoughts before we jump into our topic tonight? No, no, I don't have any, I don't have any thoughts. I never have any thoughts. Mm. Right? I'm a Baptist, right? We don't have thoughts. <laughs> I, I have much confusion. I know many very smart uh, Baptists. We're about to have a few of them on, actually. You're so, right. You know. uh, no, um, self-burn aside, uh, let's open with prayer. We're going to turn to you guys. If you have a uh, Valley Vision, which we hope you do. If you don't, please get one. Change your life. Uh, page mm. 14, Valley Vision. The Divine Will Blake is going to soothe us with his voice uh, as we... As we pray together. All right, let us pray. O Lord, I hang on thee. I see, believe, live. When thy will, not mine, is done. I can plead nothing in myself. In regard of any worthiness and grace, in regard of thy providence and promises, but only thy good pleasure. If thy mercy make me poor and vile, Blessed be thou. Prayers arising from my needs are preparations for future mercies. Help me to honor thee by believing before I feel. For great is the sin if I make feeling a cause of faith. Show me what sins hide thee from me and eclipse thy love. Help me to humble myself for past evils, to be resolved to walk with more care. For if I do not walk holily before thee, How can I be assured of my salvation? It is the meek and humble who are shown thy covenant. Know thy will, are pardoned and healed, who by faith depend and rest upon grace, who are sanctified and quickened, who evidence thy love. Help me to pray in faith and so find thy will, by leaning hard on thy rich, free mercy, by believing thou wilt give what thou hast promised. Strengthen me to pray with the conviction that whatever I receive is thy gift, so that I may pray until prayer be granted. Teach me to believe that all degrees of mercy arise from several degrees of prayer, that when faith is begun, it is imperfect and must grow, as chapped ground opens wider and wider until rain comes. So shall I wait thy will, pray for it to be done, and by thy grace become fully obedient. Mm, I like that. Pray until prayer comes. <laughs> yeah. 
I also the um uh show me what sins hide thee from me and eclipse mm-hmm. thy love. Um like this is something you know, when we've talked about this a lot, but when I came into kind of a reformed understanding, it's easy, especially with the new Calvinist movement, that's largely dissociated from confessionalism mm-hmm. and from the, the rich history of the Reformation and the subsequent Puritan movement. It's easy to disconnect praxis from orthodoxy. Oh, yeah. And your, your, your dad frequently quotes the Schaefer quote, right? The orthodoxy without compassion is ugly. That, mm-hmm. And just along with that, orthodoxy without orthopraxy is useless. Yeah. Like if it doesn't yeah. change our lives. And so this isn't pietism. This isn't saying I need to white knuckle my way into the kingdom, but just saying if I'm not walking in holiness, mm-hmm. how can I be assured? How can I rest in the fact that Christ is in me and that sanctification is being worked out if I don't desire mm-hmm. it? Amen. And we don't always desire it, right? We don't always feel it. So the prayer is Lord, help us to continue even when we don't feel it. And even when we don't want it, help us <laughs> to pray to want it more. Um, which I think is really beautiful. So absolutely. Anyways, uh, Justin, (laughs) where are we, uh, where are we going tonight on that really good note? Yeah. So we're going to sort of, uh, pick up where we left off uh, a hot second ago. (laughs) You mean, Uh, you mean last last year? (laughs) Yes. In theology proper. Um, indeed. Uh, and so we're going to start talking about the doctrine of God. We're going to, uh, dive in and we're going to kind of catch up and and compact everything that we'd kind of gone over to some degree. And then, launch forward uh, into the next few episodes that we have planned out. So um, I'm really excited. It's going to be really good. Um, There's some really good stuff that we're going to go over today. Um, And so we might as well start off uh, right with uh, with the confessions, right? Um, What does a confession have to say about the doctrine of God? Um, If you guys have a Westminster or a London Baptist, you can turn to uh, 2.1. and you can read along with us uh, if you'd like to do that. Um, but we'll start there, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about it. Sure thing. So, do you want to read? Do you want me to? Yeah, I'll read it. I'll read your confession. <laughs> Going to conquer it and take it over. Are you sure about that? Uh, <laughs> hey, um, Westminster Confession of Faith two dot one. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and in perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible without body, parts, or passions. This is important, especially now, uh, considering some of the things we've been seeing online. Without passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. Mm. Mm. Now there is a ton packed in there. <laughs> yeah. I was reading, I'm reading Richard Barcellus's book, Trinity and Creation. And in that he's specifically commenting on uh, a chapter, an article from the London Baptist confession. That's very similar to the Westminster and he, mm. and he makes that case. But a point he makes there in the early introduction chapter is that the confessions aren't 
proof text, you know, you see all these references there if you're looking at it in a book or online at reformedstandards.com or in Lagos. And as you're looking at this, you see all these proof texts on the bottom and you think, Mm -hmm. oh, they're just proof texting in the way that we think of dispensational, independent fundamentalist Baptists, uh, pre-millenarian, all all these things that were like, oh, you're just proof texting. But the, the old way of proof texting in the Reformation era wasn't about... I'm just going to machine gun style hit you with all these verses that have the same word in them. Right. (laughs) It's far more concerned with these are the scriptures where this doctrine is either the most clearly enumerated or where it can be most clearly deduced. And it's also relying heavily on the commentaries from the period, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a detail that I, I thought was brilliant that he drew out that I was not aware of even to myself that not only are they saying, yes, this verse is important, but they're also relying on the theological frameworks of the day. Right. Uh, I mean, there's this expectation that people knew their theology to some level, to some degree, which is frustrating. I mean, if we, we've talked about this before, even if we Mm -hmm. just look at something like uh, Calvin's Institutes, right, which was written to the lay person, uh, what nowadays the lay person picks that up and says, I'm not going to read this. This is way over my head. I ain't got time for this. Meanwhile, a few hundred years ago, that's what the average layperson would have been reading and understanding and grasping and, and living with, right? Sure. Um, so we've we've come a long way, and so it's important to remember the contexts in which these were written for that that exact reason. Sure, and I think if if you were to take the Westminster Confession or or the London Baptist Chapter Two Article One, and you were to write it today in evangelical Western America, it would probably read: "There is only one living and true God, uh, a most pure Spirit." Uh, eternal, mm-hmm. almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, and most he, loving, he, yeah, gracious, merciful, like long-suffering, sin. abundant yeah. in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression of sin, the reward of them that diligently seek him. And uh, that's it. Like you, you would lose all of the classical doctrines of God. Mm-hmm. You would lose all of the justice, the holiness, the wrath, righteous wrath of God because that's what we have today. And I, And like go look at mainline evangelical statements of faith on their websites. It's mm-hmm. I, I, I'm making a bit of a caricature here, but if you tell really someone not that God is, far off, right. If you say God is uh, without passions or immutable, he doesn't change mm-hmm. or he's incomprehensible or he's absolute or he works all things to the glory of his own purposes or that he punishes sin. People take offense at these things and yeah. they refuse to listen to the testimony of scripture. Right. When the, I think the problem is, Especially in our culture, we've created a God of our own image yeah. and we've created a God who's like us. Uh, and so whenever you read these these attributes of God that we can't comprehend realistically, we can't really comprehend what uh, immutability is or aseity is, right? We can't really mm-hmm. picture that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we have an idea of what that means. But when we separate God so far from ourselves, as we should, um, yeah. People get mad when you say God doesn't have emotions the way mm-hmm. that you and I have emotions. Of course not. He doesn't yeah. have emotions. He's without passion. He's he's with he's immutable. He's unchangeable. People yeah. are like they get ticked off. Mm-hmm. They get mad, and uh, that's silly. Why why would you get mad about that when you think when you follow the logical conclusion of that? Right? If yeah. God actually gets mad yeah. in the way that you and I get frustrated or angry, that's terrifying. Yeah. Well, and also, spoiler alert, by the time this episode drops, there's going to be a little little episode on Patreon right now that's not going to be out for a minute. 
uh, about this specific topic and you're not going to want to miss it. So be sure to head over there. Facts. A little spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, and you touched on it right there, right? There are things that there are things about God. And we talked about this in the past episodes, 21, 22, and 23. So go back and listen to them because we're just going to breeze by it here. Mm-hmm. But it's communicable and incommunicable attributes, yes. right? And yep. um, I guess I, we have the definitions there. So if you can reference those, like what, what do we mean by those words? I think they can be a little self-explanatory, but it helps to have the the framework here. Sure. Um, when, when referring to God's attributes, uh, we can look at his incommunicable attributes or ones that cannot be transferred uh, in t- basically or applied to you and me, right? It mm-hmm. can't be an attribute of human being, right? We cannot be um, immutable, <laughs> right? Nope. We can't be, we can't have a saity, right? We're not totally independent of all things. Um, so those are nope. attributes that God has that we, we simply cannot have. And then there's the communicable ones, which are ones that we can imitate uh, a God only because there are certain things about God that we have the ability to reflect, right? Um, sure. We can reflect love. We can reflect uh, compassion. We can reflect um, all kinds of things right. that God has that God has portrayed in some way, shape, or form. Sure. And in those communicable attributes, right? We're supposed to reflect. Like mm-hmm. we're commanded in the law to do justice, to yes. love mercy. Right. We're, we are commanded to follow God in the communicable attributes, but. Yeah. No way, no nowhere, no how can we embrace the incommunicable ones because by nature mm-hmm. they're like they are fundamentally div- divine, while we fundamentally have creaturely attributes, and that becomes really important when we get to the doctrine of the Trinity and the incarnation. Um, and we will get into that. We're heading that direction, but that's a really important part of that discussion: is this creator-creature divide? There are the communicable and the incommunicable. And it's not as though the angels are immutable, mm-hmm. uh, impassable, incomprehensible, most holy, most free, most absolute. They're heavenly, sure, but they're still creaturely. Right. And that's a really important distinction. And R.C. Sproul was really quick to point this out. And it's a helpful distinction for us as we study the doctrine of God is to remember that this God that we speak of is no creature. And we are in danger of exactly what you said, making a God in our image. If we start yeah. to apply human categories to divinity, we do that a lot. Um, yeah. We take, we take, and we do that all the, I mean, the pagans do this all the time with oh, yeah. simply, simply just with uh, morality as an example, right? They, they take their version of morality and they apply it to God and say, God is unfair. God is unjust. God is unloving because such and such. Right. And I, I'm seeing that in the church now. Well, God couldn't be, I mean, God would, why would he reject that? I mean, that's not really fair. He wouldn't. Yeah. I'm thinking, have you read the story of the flood? <laughs> like every man, woman, and child on earth, except for one family of like eight, was wiped out. Have you heard of the, the Canaanites? I mean, uh, let's yeah. just look at some, look at, look at some Old Testament, right? God is the same God as he, now as he was in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And he He's just, he's perfect, he's right. Everything he's done has been perfect and right. Mm, so mm. to take your version of morality and call God unjust because he did things that you don't like. Right. Uh, I mean, it's it's ultimately meaningless. You're, you're creating a God of your own image and then criticizing him. Right. Or you're attacking uh, mm-hmm. God. And, and oftentimes I see this as well, right? People will attack. Uh, you and I were talking about this. There was a, a pagan guy on YouTube who was like an anti-apologist. And he was making this 
grand sweeping argument that destroys Christianity um, <laughs> about how, you know, well, if God is all powerful and all knowing, but he didn't do the theodicy. So I was like, this is good job. Like, uh, you know, he, he can't be all good because then evil would happen and he, you know, all this, but he, he used that argument to say that God's God's word therefore could never be misinterpreted, which I was like, well, wait a second, you're creating a false dichotomy here at the very framework of your argument in that you're forgetting that human agents still have a response and we're fallen and sinful and dead in sin and incapable of hearing the word of God, unless we're made alive by the preaching of the gospel, which is ultimately mm-hmm. right. The work of the Holy spirit, as we talked about uh, weeks ago in new mythology. So yeah, it's super good. Uh, I'd love to talk with you about some of these incommunicable attributes, kind of rapid fire style to refresh people's minds because like I said, we're we're jumping into a couple episodes here and we want to launch off with a, a nice refresher on what these things are, but also building on what we did the last three you know, parts of this series last year, episodes 21, 22, and 23. I'd highly recommend you go listen to those, listen yes. to this, and then you know what's coming ahead. But before that, oh. we have a quick word from our sponsor. And this week's episode of Distilling Theology is sponsored by Lagos 9 some of the most advanced Bible software on the market and something I've really been enjoying using. It has a robust theological library with hundreds to thousands of books, depending on which library you're purchasing. And mm-hmm. I've been really enjoying using it. In fact, I have a window open right now. Justin, what are you enjoying in Lagos 9 this week? Yeah, so one thing that I've always found really helpful uh, in understanding maybe a particular section of scripture, a particular verse uh, that I'm... In fact, this happened to me in college when I got into a debate with one of my professors. Uh over the eternality of hell, right? He was mm-hmm. arguing that hell mm-hmm. could possibly be interpreted as not being eternal. And I said, you're crazy. That's not what the Bible's taught for the last forever. And uh, and I'll prove you wrong. And he pulled out a, a Greek word. He said the Greek word ion means age, blah, blah, blah. And so I went through a whole Greek word study. Having Lagos would have been an extremely helpful resource <laughs> uh, because it's got tons of Greek and Hebrew resources for the yeah. original languages, right? Uh, it's got exegesis of those words and what they mean in their contexts. And it's super helpful. I think there's like 11 Greek ones, five Hebrew ones. Um, there's there's uh, grammar, ontology, there's hermeneutics resources, all for the languages uh, in the original languages. So that's super helpful. Um, it would have been awesome. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have it. So I had to break out the old-fashioned books, which was still really cool. Uh, and I still yeah. felt like a beast when I walked into class and uh, kind of called them out. <laughs> oh, oh, shoot. So, but, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, not not that I'm challenging you to go challenge your, your teachers and professors, but uh, he was challenging a, a, a staple of the Christian faith, uh, sure. hell being eternal. And I had a big problem with that. And uh, it, hmm. I, I'm joking about it. It was a moment of pride. It, it was not. It was just like I, I really felt convicted and called to, to reach out. So, yeah, yeah, Lagos, super helpful for that. Um, having these resources at your fingertips, quite literally, super, super awesome. Oh, yeah, man. It's great. Like I can pull up a passage I have uh, in the library that I have. I'm able to pull up Herman Bavinck's Our Reasonable Faith. I'm able mm-hmm. to pull up Calvin's Institutes and Calvin's Commentaries. Uh, it's been super, super useful for finding quotes um, that like I read a while ago, but I don't mm-hmm. necessarily know where in you know the 500 to 1,000 pages they are specifically, but I can go sure. and search you know the start of a phrase and find everywhere that it's used. It's, it's great. So super highly awesome. recommend it. And right now they're offering a discount for Distilling Theology listeners on any of their packages. So if you go to lagos.com slash Distilling Theology, you can take 10% off your purchase. Plus they're giving away five free books. 
um, which we would highly recommend if you have any interest, whether you're a student of theology, a pastor, uh, or you're like us, you're just lay people that are, that are nerdy and love theology and love to deepen your study of the word of God. And as you highlighted, Justin, understand the languages and, and, and dive deep in a way that is just more comprehensive than I could do in any kind of efficiency. Um, and so I'm like, this is, this is super awesome. And we have a, a benefit uh, coming up tomorrow night. And Justin, yeah, what's happening tomorrow night? Yeah, we are going to be streaming live to our Facebook page. We're going to have what? a special guest from Lagos oh. uh, slash Faith Life. Yeah. Uh, he's going to come on. We're going to taste uh, some some spirits. Uh, Glenn Morangi 10, which I'm Whoa. excited about. Uh, and we're going to be exploring the tools and the features uh, that are in Lagos. So uh, check that out with us. Um, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. And um, if you guys have Lagos or if you're interested in perhaps purchasing it, um, come see what it has to offer. For sure. Join us over there. Facebook.com slash Distilling Theology tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern time. That's tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, May 12th. So be sure to join us over there and also check us out on Instagram. Uh, just uh, at Distilling Theology, see pictures of books, whiskey, mugs, merch, all that good stuff. Check us out. Uh, that's pretty much the only places we hang out. So that's about it, but we're excited. We're super thrilled to, uh, to taste Glenmorangie 10 and get a tour of Lagos nine and the tools that are available. So thank you again to Lagos for sponsoring this episode. And now back to the content. So as we dive into the incommunicable attributes of God, uh, we're going to, like Blake said, we're going to rapid fire through a bunch of these and, um, just to kind of catch you up. Uh, and in case you didn't uh, listen to those previous episodes, this will kind of give you, it's like the, it's like the previously on distilling theology. <laughs> uh, we're going to give you a little previously action, um, but it's also just kind of a good overview to have, uh, have these kind of to, to reference um, at some point or another. So Blake, what is divine simplicity? Divine simplicity is a classical Christian doctrine that teaches quite simply, pun intended, that God is not made up of parts or that God is not a composite being. This is a very dense theological doctrine in one sense, but at the same time, it's very easy to state clearly. Mm -hmm. Um, There isn't parts in God. There aren't physical parts, nor are there like component parts. And this gets really interesting when we start to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, But divine simplicity, quite simply, is just that. God is not made up of parts or to the title of James Dolezal's book, all that is in God is God and there is nothing in God that is not fully God and not all God. So we'll get back to that later on because we're going to deep dive that in another episode. <laughs> but Justin, that brings me to the next question of another classical doctrine, which the Westminster reference in the, the 1689 does as well. What mm-hmm. is immutability? Yeah. So immutability is a very important one. It is that God does not undergo change. Right? God is unchanging. <laughs> he is firm. He is always the same. He is always God. Uh, very, very important doctrine if we're going to have faith and trust in God, that God is not going to change. Um, I mean, that that's that's a very comforting doctrine if you properly understand mm-hmm. it. And it actually plays into this next uh, doctrine as well. Um, one would naturally lead to the other if God is indeed unchangeable. Uh, then what is impassibility, Blake? Uh, it is the doctrine that God does not have passions or emotions. And we can understand this in the sense that God is God contains all the fullness of his attributes at all times because of divine simplicity. Right. So these are all interrelated, as you'll see, the 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 doctrine of God, as with all theology, is interconnected. And you can't 
discuss one without the other. So I would I would contend that you can't consistently hold immutability without impassibility or divine simplicity without these others, right? Because if it is true that God is all all loving, all just, all holy, all righteous, all of these things all the time, then he can't undergo changes in state. But it doesn't make him uh, this rock, uh, which is often the argument. And we'll talk about this uh, on our patron and then eventually on the main show. But in short, God has the fullness of joy within himself. Mm-hmm. There is no lack in him. There's no there's no shortage of um, divine joy and love and holiness. So there isn't this shift in emotions. And we'll talk about anthropomorphic language in the scriptures on that episode. But that gets to one that's a little bit more straightforward. I think most Christians would understand this one, though some people get confused when it comes to the doctrine of the incarnation. But what is immortality? Yeah, um, most people would know what this means. It means that obviously God cannot die. Um, it would seem like an obvious, like, duh, of course he can't die. But it actually says a lot about who God is by nature, right? God was mm. not created. God, If God was not created, there can be no end to the, to the creator. <laughs> um, and so if we properly understand immortality, we recognize that um, we're not just talking, and this plays deeply into the next one, uh, mm. If God is truly immortal, uh, it means he has no end. And death is what? Death is the end of something that's been created. Um, right. If God is uncreated, uh, he's, he's eternal, which is the next one. If he's eternal, then he couldn't possibly die. He couldn't possibly have an end. Um, so right. speaking of eternality, Blake, go ahead. <laughs> sure. And and this was helpful for me early on when I was starting to get into theology because I saw these as synonyms in a way. Which they're not. Uh, divine immortality, as you highlighted, is God can't die. Divine eternality is God has no beginning and no end, which is a different statement. It's to say God exists outside of time. God is not bound to time. And God is self-existent is the language of theology. Not self-created because that's an oxymoron. That's a, that's a contradiction. But he's self-existent. He always ha- possesses within himself the power of existence and the power to create all that is. So eternality doesn't just move forward in the sense that God doesn't have an end, which is our glorious hope in resurrection, right? Mm-hmm. Eternal life. But when we talk about divine eternality, it also reaches backwards to have yes. no beginning. And that's a really important thing to bear in mind. And it connects to the next doctrines uh, in, in important ways. What, what do we mean when we say that God is omnipotent? Well, I was going to say, I think a helpful sort of differentiation between immortality and eternality mm. is just that, right? Eternal means both ways, beginning mm-hmm. and end. You know, there, there's God is eternally in both directions, whereas immortality uh, is something that could be, for example, given to something that's been created, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to live forever, forever going forward. We're yeah. going to be immortal in that sense. Uh, in Christ, we will never die. Um, but we, we can't be eternal in the same way that God is eternal because we, we had a beginning. Um, so similar, but different anyway, omnipotence, uh, is of course God's power. God is all powerful. Um, he is Mm -hmm. eternally powerful, immortally powerful, (laughs) immutably powerful. Uh, come on. Uh, yeah, he is, he is entirely and, and wholly powerful, um, in, in the true sense of the word. Right. Uh, you end up often getting these silly questions like, can, if God's all powerful, can he make a, 
a, a rock so big you can't lift and that kind of silly, silly nonsense. Um, right. Ultimately, uh, God is all powerful, logically speaking, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and practically speaking, right? There is no creature that is more powerful that is, than God because God is uncreated. There is nothing that has been created that could possibly outpower the creator. Um, mm-hmm. And so God is, is eternally holy, all powerful. Um, and naturally there's going to be implications from that, uh, including his omnipresence, which is the doctrine that God is everywhere present. And this is important in Christian theology. We don't want to get into pantheism where we collapse God into the created world and everything becomes God. That's not what we mean when we say omnipresent. We have to remember this idea that God is immaterial. Hmm. God is not extended out into space. He doesn't have matter attached to him. So his omnipresence is not like, if we start thinking about it, like, well, God is like a gas that's every, like, we're thinking about it wrong. Yeah. Right. It, and, and it's hard to wrap our mind around. That's kind of the point of the incommunicable attributes. Like there's Precisely. not a single one of these that I can wrap my mind around. Sure. And, you know, I can, I can state them. I can state propositional truth about God. I can see it in his word. I can worship him for it. But at the end of the day, I don't, I can't wrap my mind around this in full. And, you know, we'll talk more in depth about these as we go along, but it's important to bear that in mind, the doctrine of divine incomprehensibility, that there is such a gap between creator and creature that there's a sense in which we can never fully comprehend God. Tozer writes a lot about that. Um, Mm -hmm. Knowledge of the Holy is one of his books that I read that was absolutely, and folks, he's an Arminian, uh, but he talks about uh, God's incomprehensibility. In, in, in he writes about it in such a in such a reverent way. It was very humbling. Um, it was humbling to remember how little I actually know about God, <laughs> and how far separated I am from Him. Uh, and yet He's right at my fingertips uh, through prayer and through mm-hmm. repentance. And so we have this God that is so far beyond our ability to comprehend, and yet He loves us in such a way that we we have complete access to Him. Uh, for our salvation and for our peace and for our joy and for our comfort and everything else. It's just incredible, incredible stuff. So Knowledge of the Holy by Tozer, check that out. Do uh, it. Definitely recommend it. My favorite, one of my favorite Armenians. Well, amen. Yeah. That ties into omniscience, which yes. is simply the doctrine that God is all knowledgeable. He knows everything mm-hmm. and he knows everything perfectly. We talked about this episode 22 or 23, I believe. Mm-hmm. We talked extensively about this, so I won't belabor the point. But remember, this means not only that God has all knowledge, but he has perfect knowledge mm. and that includes perfect knowledge of himself which when you draw out the implication of that and we did that in that episode yes means that god god's self-revelation is perfect like when i'm when i'm telling Oof. someone something about yeah. myself i'm revealing things i don't intend to reveal sure. and i'm not accurately revealing things that i intend to reveal but because god is perfect mm-hmm. and his and his knowledge of himself is perfect that means his revelation of himself is perfect which is something that we ought to worship him for and bear in mind which drives us to the next doctrine of divine aseity. And Justin, what does that mean? Yeah, so it's a sort of a two-parter, um, but it makes sense when you explain it. God does not derive anything from something else uh, because he is not dependent or contingent upon anything else, <laughs> right? God's contingency, he's, he's only dependence is himself. He is mm-hmm. entirely independent. He doesn't yeah. exist depending on anything. And we have no way to really comprehend what that's like. Because yeah. we ex- we entirely exist on contingencies and on dependence mm-hmm. on other things, yeah. right? 
we have to depend, number one, on God to allow us to live. Right, Every second that you're here and in existence is because God has gracefully allowed that. Uh, so listen here, pagans, you should be worshiping God for allowing you to breathe. Mm. Um, and, and everything that we do, right? Everything that we, we touch, everything is contingent. We are contingent on, on the sun rising in the morning and, and the trees making oxygen, right? And all these things, we are entirely, totally, utterly dependent, uh, which is incredibly hard to comprehend, right? The entire inverse of that, that God mm. doesn't derive any power or, or dependence on anything from anywhere uh, at all. Totally independent. Mm. Uh, and that was, that, was one, that was one of those doctrines that led me to understanding God's sovereignty better. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Because if God is totally <laughs> independent and totally uh, uncontingent, then he must be totally sovereign. He must be entirely and wholly in control of all things. Um, because what other creature could be? No creature could be. <laughs> only God, only God could be that way. So, uh, super important doctrine and one that I think is incredibly important. Mm. Uh, which leads to God's transcendence, right? Um, yeah. If God is uh, the holder of a saity, then... Uh, he must be transcendent, uh, yeah. right? Which is what? Transcendence is the doctrine that God is distinct from and elevated above the world. Um, this also ties into one at the end that we're going to talk about, about his holiness. But um, this idea that God, far and against pantheism, that says God is every everywhere present and, mm. and here in, in everything and is uh, literally all matter is God. This This piece of material <laughs> here is part of God. Like, over and against that, the Christian religion firmly states that God is distinct from and elevated above the world. But this doctrine is held almost in tension with and yet in tandem, in necessary tandem with the next doctrine on our list, which is eminence. And what does that mean? Yeah, so God's eminence um, is that he is in community with and indwelling in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So he is, it's not as though God is entirely um, independent and far away. Right? It's not as though he's uninvolved or he's mm. he's uh, he's not part. It's not as though he set creation into motion and then just disappeared. Like deism. And said, I don't deism, care, right? Man. Like deism. Yeah. Um, God is imminent. He is deeply involved in the world and in, in creation. He's in community with us, with his people, right? We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Um, and he, he, you know, he says, when we're two or three more are gathered uh, in prayer, you know, he's there. Um, God is... Um, close to in relation with creation right mm. he even came down and became man and lived mm. in creation he humbled himself right he he um he literally came came down as a man and it, you couldn't you couldn't humble yourself more being the god yeah. of all things uh to become um man and walk among us and and then not only that but be brutally murdered <laughs> and yeah. and all these things that, that that he did uh that christ did for us so god is deeply involved in the world um he is not far away he is not um uninterested in what he's created yeah. um so well, yeah I- what what does bavik say on that so from uh, Our Reasonable Faith or the reprint, Wonderful Works of God, page 118 in, in chapter 9, The Being of God, uh, Herman Bavink writes, the purpose of each of them, which is the communicable and incommunicable attributes, 
is to insist on God's transcendence or his distinction from an elevation above the world and on God's eminence, his community with and his indwelling in the world. Bavink goes on to say that the reformed names of incommunicable and communicable attributes do better justice to this purpose than the names which the Catholics and the Lutherans employ, (laughs) which he talks Mm -hmm. about further up. He says the insistence on the first group of attributes saves us from polytheism and pantheism. That is the incommunicable attributes prevent us from becoming polytheists or or pantheists. But the insistence on the second group of attributes, that is his communicable attributes, protect us against deism and atheism. And so that's why I said these are they're both necessary. Like they seem to be in tension with one another. And yet if we don't have them, we fall to either side of this grievous errors. And Bavink is so masterful throughout wonderful works of God at showing us how these classical Christian doctrines keep us on the edge of a precipice in many ways, prevent us from falling off a cliff on either side doctrinally by keeping us in this tension that the scriptures give us. That God is imminent, but he's also transcendent. That God is loving, but he's also has holy wrath. That God is just, but he's also merciful. Yes. That God is eternal and immortal, and yet in the person of the Son, he came and lived a perfect life and suffered and died. And so it's important to bear these distinctions in mind and to recognize they live here not as much to tell us so much about God as to put boundaries about uh, beyond which we dare not go. Sure. I think it's a, a helpful sure. thing. You know, the creeds kind of function that way and so do the confessions. Oh, absolutely. Um, which brings us to the last item here, which is uh, God's holiness, which we've obviously talked about before. And I commend, you know, there's a couple of books on my mind, but what is the holiness of God? Oh, yeah. It's a great <laughs> book by R.C. Sproul. Well, amen. <laughs> uh, which we highly recommend regarding the Go, go read subject. the book, yeah. Um, but it is God's otherness or set-apartness. It is his... Um, his purity. I mean, mm. when you think of holy, you think of sinlessness. You think of um, being entirely right. When God calls us to be holy, he tells us to be set apart from the world, to be to be other. Right. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to be in it, but not of it. And mm. so uh, holiness is just that is it's it's the setting um, setting ourselves apart from sin and from mm. death. And that's because God is perfectly holy. He is entirely uh, independent of those things um, and not. Uh, contingent on those things. <laughs> uh, mm. So all these, all these doctrines, all these attributes of God, um, God is these things, right? He's not mm-hmm. 20% immutable and right. 30% impassable. I mean, he's all of these things perfectly uh, yeah. in, entirely. So uh, when we talk about God's holiness, right, he is entirely apart from yeah. any and all other things. Um and that's what he calls us to, which is wild when you think about yeah. it. And it's also important to bear in mind that when we talk about the attributes of God, I think that term for me, I struggled with that a little bit because sure. attributes sounds like a composite makeup of yes. elements, right? Like I have attributes. I have currently long hair. I have a goatee. I have brown eyes, right? Like I have these attributes that are all distinct parts of me. And if you were to remove those accidental properties for me, I would still be me. Like I wouldn't cease my fundamental nature wouldn't change by shaving my head or shaving off my, my facial hair. Like, sure. I'm still Blake, but God doesn't, none of these things in God are attributes in that sense. They are ontological, essential attributes. They are necessary because they are the outflow of his existence. Like it it gets complicated. We're going to have some people much smarter than us on in the coming weeks 
to talk about these things and we're really excited because they're oh, far yeah. more qualified than us and uh oh yeah i'm ready to have my my mind just blown for the next couple of weeks but as we <laughs> as we wind down this episode we want to tease a little bit about what's coming next week which is uh we're going to be talking about the doctrine of the trinity that is that we worship one god eternally existent in three persons we're going to be sipping amaro lucano Back to Amaro's. But uh, before we do that, Justin, do you want to read this, uh, the confessional statement there from Westminster chapter two, article three? Um, yes. Yeah, we'll re- I will read one of the confessional statements. It's you can do the, the you can do the London Baptist. One. <laughs> and, uh, I'm just saying it's not the only confession. Like, come on. Uh, yeah. Chapter two, article three says. In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power and eternity. God, the father, God, the son. God the Holy Spirit, or God the Holy Ghost, which we also see in the creeds, which is Mm -hmm. uh, important. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, and the Holy Ghost is eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. So, stoked. What? (laughs) Right? What does that mean? And boy, Mm -hmm. talk about one of the most misunderstood and deeply abused doctrines of God. Um, Indeed. And think of the cults that have come out from a misunderstanding of that, right? Mormonism, yeah. Jehovah's Witness, uh, yeah. you name it. Um, yeah. I mean, geez, you're talking the Moonies, right? Even the Moonies. Sure. Uh, they, they're a cult that came out of, <laughs> come out of a misunderstanding of, of this doctrine here. Sure. And this doctrine is one that we want to take, uh, of all the, the aspects of the doctrine of God, we want to take extra care there. But hopefully in the last half hour, 40 minutes, however long we've been going here, We've been able to impress upon you. I mean, I'm feeling it right now. Sure. My own inability to wrap my mind around the doctrine of God and to recognize that there are things that I can reason through and I can state propositional truths and I can see them in the scripture. But I have to, at the end of the day, I have to say I I don't necessarily fully understand and I won't fully understand either this side of eternity or or, or in eternity. Like I'm never going to grasp omnipotence. No. I'm not going to, I don't, I don't understand what it means to be all powerful. I can, I have a concept of it, but that's about it. And so as we walk in, we need to walk with humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to walk carefully and I not would encourage us. Analogies. <laughs> I, we, I mean, we can. And, and one thing to, to bear in mind though, is that those human analogies will fail. And we can highlight that next week when we talk about it and show mm-hmm. why they break down and what yeah. problems they lead to in your, in your conception of God. Uh, so, so the thing to remember, right? God is, I say he is of himself. He is holy. He is set apart. He is totally different. He is simple. He's not made up of composite elements that add up to one whole. Like right. it's not as though Father, Son, and Spirit are each a third piece of God, and yes. and they all you know that's important to remember. So we'll get into that. I'm very excited to touch on this doctrine. Um, probably the first of many episodes, and and later on in the series on theology proper that we're restarting, we're going to talk about the inseparable operations of the persons of God which is going to get a little bit wild. I was at a conference where I got to hear a lecture on it and my brain was blown like the whole time. So I'm really <laughs> stoked to have uh, that author on and, and I can't wait for that. But Justin, what are some some things you already mentioned the holiness of God by Sproul. If people want to jump into divine, you know, theology proper, and obviously we have a lot of doctrines here yeah. that we've hit on, but just some some books that we would recommend that people could, could jump into there. Yeah, there's definitely some good reading out there. All That Isn't God by James Dolezal yes. uh, is a great one. Um, the Wonderful Works of God, which is uh, Herman Boving's, uh, it's like the modern minimized version of the Reformed Dogmatics, <laughs> mm. uh, a great little systematic to read through. 
Um, and then, of course, Sam Renahan's God Without Passions, mm-hmm. another great one. Um, check those out. You can get them all over the Internet. Just Google them. Do it. You know how it works. You know how to buy books. This is uh, 2021. And you also know how to get a hold of more quality podcast content by heading over to the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective, including Assurance of Pardon, The Bobcast, Christ in Context, Distilling Theology, Fast God Stuff, Five Points Church Planting Podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Seeker Start, Restless, Sippin' on Theology, Steady Anchor, and the particular Baptist podcast who just had Dr. James Dolezal on recently. Uh, you can get all these shows, the entire back catalog of all these programs at reformedpodcasts.com. Be sure to head over there and check it out. And Justin, if people want to hear the conversation that we had this past week with Dr. Sam Renahan, where can they go? Because it's not going to be out on the main show for a little while. Uh, well, they can pray and fast. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, head on over, obviously, to distillingtheology.com. Uh, all of our episodes are there. Um, but also, uh, if you want the extra bonus cool content, which you definitely do. That's right. You want to head over to patreon.com slash distillingtheology. Uh, for four ninety nine a month, you will get uh, all kinds of exclusive bonus content. You will get early releases uh, episodes that are live streamed when we record them. Um, so you get all the bluffs and bun- blunders and all the goofy stuff. You also, it's video content. So you get to see our lovely faces. Um, or, uh, or if you're Blake, you only get to see half of his face. <laughs> As he hides behind the microphone. That's it. That's it. Um, there's extended conversation. I mean, last time we had uh, Sam Renahan on, we talked for two and a half hours. I mean, that's it. It's great. Uh, you also get a discount in the distilling theology store shop, distilling theology.com. Um, you get 10% off, you know, on bugs, uh, shirts, hats, blankets. I mean, all the good stuff. All the, all the good, good stuff. stuff. So head over there, patreon.com. Uh, if you decide to join us at $14.99 a month, after three months, you will get an exclusive Distilling Theology mug, some extra content as well, and um, some cool stuff in the future. we got some more stuff coming. We do. This we're, is the way. We're men of ideas. We're that men is. of, of, uh, of uh, I don't know, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, ambition <laughs> that's it you know uh and and sheer will uh and we also got in our distilling theology glenn karen glasses limited edition small batch zero zero one i've been seeing them show up on the facebook group so please if you've got Ooh, yeah. your glasses post a picture on facebook post a picture on instagram we love to see them um, we're so happy that people finally have them in their hands uh if people want more glasses uh just keep requesting them and if we get enough requests, we'll do another another limited run we might be able to do. So uh, be sure to uh, to check that out. And guys, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Distilling Theology. Enjoy this sneak preview from the extended conversation, which is available exclusively at patreon.com slash distillingtheology. Another Presbyterian later this summer, we got a bunch of Baptists coming on the show for the classical theism episode. It's about time. It's going to be lit. You know, see, I'm a man of my word. It's not just, (laughs) it's not all Presbyterian guests, okay? Listen, when are we going to have on like some Anglicans? You know? Like some Lutherans? Reach out. Reach out. Let's get a papist on. No. uh, Well, you know, on that (laughs) note, I think it's time to end the patron section. Uh, (laughs) Thank you guys for hanging out. We'll see you next time. Actually, we'll see you tomorrow night. Um, Just doing